Hello and welcome to another episode of the Free Speech Union Podcast. It's my great pleasure to get to sit down today with Bob McCroskey, the Executive Director of Family First and the uh, the organization which has recently received a Supreme Court decision de-registering them as a charity in New Zealand for excessive advocacy. Uh, now, Bob, that's an interesting uh, decision that has come out of the Supreme Court a long time in the making. So after almost 10 years, you have your decision. It's not the one you were after, though. What's happened here? Yeah, it's a um, concerning decision. Look, it's been over 10 years, and uh, you probably think, well, Family First is the only one kicking up a stink. It's not really an issue for anybody else. But the fact of the matter is that it has cost us around three quarters of a million to uh, do this case over the 10 years. And if you count up the – I mean, if you base it on a football game – Basically, there were four court cases, two in the in the High Court, one in the Court of Appeal and one in the Supreme Court, uh, and the uh, it was the uh, two all at the end. So, uh, you know, we won in the Court of Appeal where the judges actually held that, uh, no, what we were doing was an important part of the um, debate. In fact, they said, and I quote, public discussion and debate around such important issues is desirable to encourage the development of related policies and laws. Uh, Family First has a clear purpose of stimulating a public debate and participating in public discourse on important social issues relevant to families. Uh, and they also said it would be curious if promotion of what the board called the traditional family would cease to be of public benefit because there is a growing acceptance of other forms of stable family life. So the, the, the Court of Appeal majority upheld that we were a charity, but then the government appealed. And we ended up back in the Supreme Court and the five judges held that, no, we weren't a charity. And they said, and I quote, we do not agree with the Court of Appeal majority that Family First's advocacy of the role and importance of this particular version of the family and of marriage between a man and a woman is self-evidently beneficial in a charitable sense. I mean, that's quite an amazing statement because basically they're determining what is beneficial in a charitable sense. And I think... Uh, that's always a concern when the highest court in the land makes a blatant admission like that, that they are deeming certain things beneficial and certain things not. Well, it would almost seem to me that they're straying from their crucial role within our democracy, which is to interpret law and to, to provide you know context for the decisions of parliament, and strain into what is arguably more a political value statement around value, not of value, for what is um, a crucial debate. I'm trying to think back 10 years now. I think a lot of my listeners would struggle to think back 10 years ago what we were going through then, what the, what the, what the actual the subject of this debate was. So just remind us, Bob, what were you advocating? What was the debate around then? So in uh, 2012, 2013, we had that massive debate about redefining marriage. Uh, and generally, politicians in the state doesn't talk about marriage at all. They don't see it as a particular point of interest. Most of our data and statistics don't even cover the issue of marriage or analyze uh, you know, some of the social issues and around family structure. But in 2012, 2013, suddenly everybody wanted to talk about marriage and the politicians said it was the best thing ever and they thought that everybody should be able to get married, including same-sex couples. And so 
our argument was simply, look, marriage has come down through cultures, through millennia. Um, it also has a faith element, religious uh, aspect to it. Uh, and and therefore, we believe that it should retain its meaning of marriage being one man, one woman. And if you want to make arrangements for other arrangements, um, same sex, uh, even um, group, uh, then call it something else. Don't call it marriage. Call it civil unions. Wow, there's a great term, eh? Let's call it civil unions. Well, they did that, but of course, they weren't happy. They wanted more. So we were simply on one side of the debate. Now, the Charities Commission had already been saying to us, oh, look, you're speaking up in the political sphere a bit too much. The The problem with that is that most charities that I know, uh, especially when they're uh, advocating around policy, which affects the public, affects families, affects the environment, affects human rights, they will be speaking into the political sphere because, unfortunately, politicians get themselves involved in these matters. And, and my <laughs> argument has always been just because the politicians get involved and make it a political issue and politicise it, does that mean that as charities we suddenly have to back off because the politicians have got involved? I would say that's even more reason to get involved. So so we were already under the, under the watch, uh, and then they held off their final decision to deregister us until after the marriage debate was sorted because they knew it would stoke the fire. Mm. It was very interesting timing. And then since 2013, we've been back and forth in the court. And as I say, it's been two all, but unfortunately, um, the Charities Board and the government struck the uh, killer blow and got the, got the um, big decision out of the Supreme Court. And uh, yeah, it, it has been simply around the fact that they don't believe that our promotion of the family and marriage and our view on it uh, is of public benefit. And Look, I think even, even people who disagree with Family First, I think we've had a lot of feedback. In fact, we've had donations from people who have said to us, look, I don't agree with anything you guys say, but I do totally support your right to speak it. Uh, and it was one thing that I said, Jonathan, on uh, with Jack Tame on Q&A when I was interviewed. I said, look, if someone's argument is so weak that they have to shut down any opposing argument or dissent, then maybe they need to go away and think about their argument again and make it stronger. That's the core yeah. argument of free speech, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah. 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 But but there would be people who say this isn't a free speech issue. It is it, it's a taxpayer issue that mm. uh, really in, in reality your speech is just as legitimate today as it was last week or ten years ago. It's simply the fact that you shouldn't be subsidized effectively by the government and by the taxpayer to be able to espouse that speech. Do you not think there's some legitimacy in that? No one's coming on your door and saying, hang on a second, Bob, you're not allowed to say that. They're just saying, we're not going to fund you in the same way that we might fund the, the Auckland City Mission or, or other, other organizations that are providing a tangible benefit for the charities work that they're involved in. How do you respond to that? Yeah, no, look, I totally agree with that argument, surprisingly. But for those people who are using that argument, they need to start calling for the deregistration of the Helen Clark Foundation, the New Zealand Drug Foundation, Child Poverty Action Group, Amnesty International, Save Animals from Exploitation, National Council of Women, Rainbow Wellington, you know, the list goes on and on. There are a whole lot of charities that are doing exactly the same thing as us, but for some reason we have been... Um, 
targeted. And like I say, I think it's because we have touched the the um, the very sensitive topic of the definition of marriage, which is all part of identity politics. Um, and it's you know we've we've kind of broached into that subject. That that's uh, Jonathan. That's one of the really interesting things out of the decision, which I have made um, people aware of, because what the Supreme Court said was that uh, advocacy around marriage and family effectively is not is, is not deemed to be of public benefit. But they said, and I quote from the Supreme Court, this differs from advocacy for ends like human rights and protection of the environment, which the Greenpeace case held with themselves charitable ends. So this is a key point to understand. The court is saying that the religion of human rights, which includes sexuality and gender and critical theory, and the religion of environmentalism are acceptable things to advocate for, but for a group to use decades of research proving that family formation and structure matters is apparently unacceptable and apparently discriminatory. So it's the inconsistency, and that's, see, for people who support us being deregistered, I would just say to them, I would warn them and say, what happens if the politics of New Zealand completely swung in the other direction and we had a far-right government and they suddenly started started targeting left-wing charities and environmental groups who they said were destroying the economy uh, that'd be the you know these these people who are currently applauding the decision on us they might not be so quick to use that as a precedent and and look my argument has always been I don't want to see any of those groups that I just listed deregistered. I disagree with them, but I just think it needs to be a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Well, the famous saying goes: uh, "Before you judge someone, walk a mile in their shoes." But, but you know, the, the the more important part of that saying, I think, keeps going and says, "And and then if you still want to judge them, you're a mile away and you've got their shoes." So mm-hmm. that's that's where you can end up. <laughs> yeah. Now. now um, in, in terms of that that inconsistency, what is Family First doing about this? I mean, uh, surely that at, at the level that you're talking about, this has become a politicised decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is there any sort of uh, refutes that you have? The interesting thing was that back in 2017, before the election campaign where the government changed, um, the both the Greens and Labor had policies that specifically said that they would fix the definition of charities. The Greens policy was, and I quote, advocacy is important, including political advocacy, and we would ensure that advocacy doesn't prevent community groups from receiving funding or gaining charitable status. That's the Green Party. The Labor Party, in their manifesto, said Labor will ensure that community and voluntary organisations can engage in advocacy without fear of losing government contracts or their charitable status. So that seems like a slam dunk. The government could fix it right now based on their manifestos. But here's the here's the key, Jonathan. In 2017, Greenpeace were currently fighting for their charitable status, partly because of some of their illegal activity as well. Now, they won back their charitable status. Good on them. Uh, and suddenly the government 
and the Greens and Labour have suddenly forgotten about their manifestos. I wonder why that is. <laughs> you know, I think just as you unpack this, I'm understanding more around the the reason why this really is a crucial speech issue, where certain perspectives, certain ideas have been privileged over others. Yeah. To, uh, to be able to speak into what are very contentious debates. And, and that's why I find it ironic that uh, you, you've, you've been told that advocacy on uh, the, you know, the formation of the family is not to a public benefit, which seems to run counter to the message we almost hear every single day, that, that the way we see uh, the composition of families, the way we see gender, the way we see sexuality is of so much importance. It's, mm-hmm. it's crucial. It is the primary definition we might provide for ourselves. Unless you, unless you put in a perspective that is traditional forward, and and then actually you're on the wrong side of that. You know, it, it reminds me of the debate that uh, that Bethlehem College has recently emerged from, uh, and, and and many of our supporters are familiar with that. Do you do you see um, correlations between the pressure that they came under and and this decision from the Supreme Court? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, you've got to look behind what is the real target in all of this uh, with uh, Bethlehem College and with Family First and uh, even uh, individual cases that I've been aware of, of where people have been shut down in their social media, being disciplined at work for expressing certain views. And that is that uh, currently in New Zealand, there is a witch hunt for anything that even sniffs of Judeo-Christian values. and, and this is my personal view, is that there is uh, a rejection of those Judeo-Christian values that have been the formation of our laws and our, our culture for so long, uh, and and therefore uh, anything that uh, is even sniffs of perhaps the Bible or sniffs of biblical sexual ethics is public enemy number one, especially where it relates to identity politics uh, it, it basically needs to be shut down. There can can be no dissent to the uh, gender fluidity and the sexuality indoctrination that's going on, which is going on in schools now as young as, you know, six, seven years old. In fact, we just put out a, a uh, publication showing that, in fact, even when you do outdoor education, they're doing gender fluidity indoctrination during outdoor ed camps and activities. It's 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 permeated right through our culture, but especially our young uh, young children, uh, and it's it's just denying biological reality and it's pushing a very radical sexual and gender ideology. And most parents, when they when they become aware of it, are really concerned about it. Try to speak up. Now the problem is that a lot of our mainstream media will not allow debate, and in fact, you've got platforms like the Stuff News website, who specifically in their policies say they will not allow debate on the transgender issue, for example. Uh, there's some other issues that they won't allow debate on either. That, that's, I mean, that is hugely problematic. And uh, I think the government doesn't help because I don't know if you remember the wonderful quote from Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern when she was asked, well, could you define what is hate speech? And she said, when you see it, you'll know it. That's right. <laughs> Does that give you confidence? Well, I, I think that makes the argument about as clearly as we could around why hate speech is such a bad idea. It's uh, almost classical. It's, that's, uh, that's right. Yeah. 
But 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 I I think the point that you're making there is a really important one. It is a bit ironic though because um, those Judeo-Christian values that that you're referencing there and 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 the uh, the heritage that portions of our country have kind of coming from that biblical basis, the, the church has been. Uh, violently opposed to, to free speech in the past. And and and, and those who um, previously held power were just as inclined towards censorship uh, as, as those who now hold power seem to be. Uh, so is this just a question of, well, you're the underdog now, and so of course you're going to a- appeal to free speech, but it's not actually a value that you, we can claim you have any, uh, you being Judeo-Christian values, so sorry, you have to represent that, that whole mantra there for a moment, Bob. But uh, th- that actually, what what reason do we have to think that you actually have any dedication to this being a liberal value that does provide access to knowledge and, and advancement? Yeah, I, d- I don't think in history that we've seen a ramming down or the demand for a state religion. I think New Zealand has been very clear on that, that there has been a separation of church and state, that the state has not become a state religion uh, or has dictated to the church, and at the same time the church can't dictate to the government. But there definitely has been interaction of ideas and challenging, and I think um, what the church has uh, been seen is like a bit of a spoke in the wheel. It it, it, it makes the noise, it, it, it interrupts the, the process of policy when uh, it, it, is, it is deemed to be problematic. Now, that for Family First, that's what really our aim is to do. It's to look at public policy and to say, actually, is this in the best interests of families? Um, you know, is it in the best interests of our young people? Is it in the best interests of cultural thriving societies? Is it in the best interests of the safety of our community? So those are the debates that you have to have publicly. And like I say, if the government's arguments are so weak that they have have to shut down dissent and start labelling them all disinformation. I mean, I was looking up the definition of disinformation this morning in the dictionary. Uh, I think the definition of disinformation at the moment is anything Parliament uh, the government doesn't like. That's what it seems to be coming down to, and 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 unfortunately, the media are aiding and abetting that. So they're shutting down important debates that we have to re- have around gender ID- identity and gender uh, theory in our in our schools and universities. They're shutting down the debate on any pushback on environmentalism and global warming. They're shutting down debate on any pushback on. Uh, mandates, uh, you know, vaccine mandates, no jab, no job. Wherever you stand on those issues, if you're not, if you're unable to hear the other side of the debate, then we're in problems. And I, you know, for me, uh, when I was at school, I was in the debating team and I was actually the first speaker. And one of the jobs in debating teams, you have three speakers on each side who argue the moot or against the moot. And then you come back to the first speaker and the first speaker on each side basically has to rebut what they've heard from the opposing side. So my job was not to just reiterate what I already thought. I had to listen really carefully to the other three speakers on the opposing side, and then I had to shoot down their arguments. And I I think that's actually a healthy approach to debate. You know, if we can't do that, then we're losing the ability to actually come to the best conclusion uh, and you know, we've just—I just think people have come too precious, and they're not willing to have that dissent. 
And, 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 and that's we, we, we always say bad ideas are beaten with good ideas. That's mm-hmm. how you go about uh, progressing. And, and certainly, Bob, I think a, lo- a lot of uh, the Free Speech Union supporters and a lot of our listeners would agree that <clears throat> not necessarily agree with the substance of, of what you're standing for, but agree that on all of those issues that you, that you referenced there, there has been a censorship of the conversation. There has been a mm-hmm. shutting down of the ability to freely and openly and without fear of any report actually uh, a voice a, a countering opinion and and so I wonder where do you think this is going because it's not like you know I, I, the, the the fallacy of censorship is that well if we stop them from saying it they'll stop believing it and that's just that's just patently incorrect if anything censorship is shown to often make people hold those positions even more strongly and so you the family first recently released uh, some some polling around p- parents perspective of transgender teaching in classrooms a majority were very uncomfortable with it but it, it relates to a number of these other issues that you might stand on where Many Kiwis um, are pro-life, as it were. You know, not a majority, certainly, but there is a strong portion who are. Many Kiwis do believe in a traditional perspective of marriage. That's why our public letter supporting uh, Bethlehem College received tens of thousands of signatures because yeah. a lot of people said, actually, we believe that they should have the rights to make that uh, that, that statement to, to hold that belief. So where is this going? It, it's not like if they just shut down the conversation will go away. Uh, are you concerned if we can't have access to speech, what the alternatives are? Well, I think people are, uh, you're right. Uh, the day we were deregistered, I actually did up just a, a, a little um, image that was a bit like the Tui billboard. And it said, you know, if, 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 if we deregister them, they'll go away. Yeah, right. Uh, and the fact of the matter is we're not going away. In fact, probably we're stronger as a result of this decision because we're not under the shackles of having to be careful not to be uh, too overtly um, political that they come, you know, warning us again or just warning us and not others. Uh, and so we will continue to speak up. Nothing has changed. The next day after the decision, we just carried on as normal, except we had this massive outpouring of support and increased uh, financial commitment. People don't like seeing that inconsistency. Uh, and so you're right, we haven't been shut down. We haven't got, you know, masking tape over our mouths. But what the state has said indirectly is there are certain views that we will approve and there are certain views that we will not accept. And we will do everything we can to not give you any legitimacy to those views. So, you know, during the recent cannabis referendum, uh, we were on one side opposing legalisation of cannabis because of the harm it would do in communities. And then on the other side, you had two registered uh, charities, the Drug Foundation and the Helen Clark Foundation, both campaigning for legalisation. They're not being investigated. They're not being deregistered. So it's that inconsistency that people don't like. I think if, when, we, when you're going to have a debate, you're like, you know, it's a bit like my school debates. If there was three of us on one side and only two speakers on the other side or one speaker, people would say, hang on, this isn't fair. This isn't a fair game. So I, I think deep down people are very uneasy about the Supreme Court decision. And I think they're concerned that it sets a precedent that when the government doesn't like certain speech, they will shut it down. In other words, they will deregister it or to the extreme of what they're talking about, criminalise it. Uh, but the problem is they can't define objectively why 
they're shutting it down and that concerns us all. Mm-hmm. And so are you concerned that uh, while uh, the, the hate speech laws that were proposed have been shelved uh, for the for the time being, not least because the Free Speech Union managed to orchestrate yeah. a successful campaign against... One of the big supporters of the Free Speech Union. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but are you concerned that if the government were to, uh, to attempt to revive these proposals, that you're saying the... The implications for your speech and 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 the values that you represent could be far more extreme. That it goes beyond saying, "Look, you're not actually going to qualify as a charitable status anymore." That you could actually find yourself falling the foul of the law and possibly criminal uh, penalties because of ideas that you're sharing. Oh, absolutely. I would say that if hate speech laws come in, uh, it'll be groups like ours. It'll be people like me uh, that will be. Um, first complaints will be made against and uh, either it'll be the Human Rights Tribunal or it'll be criminal charges. Uh, Look, the hate speech laws are coming. The problem is that with hate speech laws is that it confuses uh, what is hate and violent speech and threatening, which is already illegal. It confuses that with just speech that they hate. And unfortunately, they need to grow up. And, um, you know, if the state bring in hate speech laws, it's simply to protect their ideology. It's not actually to deal with a problem. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so can I ask, how does that make you feel? Where um, you're saying that the hate speech laws would characterize your values and your ideas, your speech, as equivocal to, to violence and, and, and to, to rank racism, to, uh, to calls for violence and that kind of thing. They're, they're putting them in the same basket. I mean, does that make you feel, um, I, I mean, sure and salt, how do you process that to go such, such absolute resistance to the ideas that you have that, that society has held for a long time? Well, I think, you know, Professor Paul Moon, um, who everybody is aware of, great, great guy, you know, he says there's no jurisdiction where uh, hate speech laws has offered a clear definition of what it is. And so it's left to the police and the courts to determine. And then, of course, you've got people being triggered just because they, uh, you know, disagree with what you're saying. Uh, We already have existing laws. Hate crimes are already illegal. I mean, there's a number of laws, Human Rights Act, Summary Offences Act, Harmful Digital Communications Act, you know, they they are already in existence. But the problem is that they want to take it further because the true goal is intimidation and the ultimate outcome is self-censorship because what it does is it creates a culture of fear where we're constantly thinking, well, hang on, I, I really don't want to visit, uh, I, you know, I don't want to be front page of the newspaper being accused of hate speech and I don't want to... Uh, have a visit from the police uh, with the with the threat. So, in our workplaces, amongst uh, businesses, the cancel culture is in effect. It is um, it's having a chilling effect where we're scared to express our opinion, whether it's right or wrong. Mm. That that's the disturbing part. And so, I think for organisations like the Free Speech Union, with the support of groups like Family First and others that you know are an important part of the coalition. We need to give people the backbone to speak up uh, and, uh, you know, get these ideas across. We, we, we cannot afford to be silent. That, that's right. And and while uh, the Family First has a very particular set of values it advocates mm. for, uh, Free Speech Union will stand up for all speech. I think where we're coming to there is do not be self-censored. Do, do not give in to the fear. Do not give in to the intimidation of bullies 
because that's what they are to mm. undermine your rights to have a say to contribute to the debate because we need your voice we need mm. we need everyone to stand up and have their inputs as we move forward as a society and i think unfortunately mm. many kiwis will often go oh well it doesn't affect me it's i i don't care about that issue anyway but before long it will be an issue you care about mm. and we either we as the saying goes we either stand together or we'll hang separately so look bob thanks very much for your time i appreciate you sitting down with us it's uh an interesting decision, a troubling decision that has emerged from the Supreme Court, but uh, it sounds like you guys are still going to continue to stand up and and, and speak from your perspective. So do not allow self-censorship to creep into your ranks. Do not allow the bullies to have their way. But for now, we appreciate your time. Yeah. And thank you, Jonathan. I think one of the exciting things is that you've drawn together uh, people from both the left and the right and the centre. You know, there are people amongst the free speech union uh, that, yeah, we do agree on issues, but we agree to disagree. And that is very mature that we can agree to disagree, but still fight for the right of each of us to uh, have those views. And uh, it, I think that's what scares the government is that uh, you've drawn together uh, people from both sides of the political uh, sphere. And, and that, that's strength. All power to you. Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Kakutiano.